Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Javier Laval, who is the founder of FutureStream, which you can find at futurestream.tv, and FutureStream empowers creators by helping them monetize their live streams, and they've worked with some of the biggest names in entertainment, more of which are to come, which... While Javier can announce, you will find out very shortly who they are. Javier is also the founder and was the creative director of Android Ohm, a company that he sold in 2019 after growing it to millions of dollars in revenue. It's an independent men's footwear and apparel brand you may be familiar. And in this episode, we go through how he started and grew number of different ventures he has, including True Star Media, Android Ohm, and now FutureStream. We go through creating live events and what goes into that kind of space. Obviously, during COVID now, not live events going on, but Javier has so many insights into that. And over the course of his career, has worked with really some of the biggest names in entertainment and has a tremendous amount of experience making events that are entertaining events that are engaging events that really are something that people want to be a part of as always the show notes are just go grind.com slash podcast you can support the show by leaving a rating and review and without further ado here is javier lavalli founder of future stream javier welcome to the show thank you for having me justin appreciate yeah. your time appreciate the platform Yes, great to have you on and you know having a multitude of experiences as as an entrepreneur and now with the newest venture being futurestream.tv there's a lot to discuss. So where I want to begin with is you've done so many different things and all these different ventures. If someone were to ask you like what do you do now? What would you tell them? What I do now is someone to ask me what I do now, I think is I am a creator that is consistently figuring out ways to help others and and bring value to other people's lives, whether it's through my consulting company, whether it's through um, this new platform, FutureStream. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't know how to kind of create a definition or a, a, a term for that, but I'm really just kind of like a an entrepreneur that's thinking of ways to improve people's lives. Has that always been the case for you? Or you kind of always had this desire to, to help other people or like, where does that come from Javier? No, that, that wasn't always the the case. I think, um, you know, early on in probably most people's entrepreneurial careers, they're thinking about themselves and they're thinking, and you know, I'll speak for myself, thinking about myself. And I was, I was thinking about kind of how I can, make money, how I can, you know, climb the ladder of success, what I can do uh, for me. And uh, un- unbeknownst to me, like, you know, a lot of the adventures and the things that I have done uh, were in service, you know, and in service of others and even uh, in nightlife and, and, and promotions, um, you know, you're, you're helping others uh, tell their story, whether you're promoting an, an artist in their new music or you're, opening up a nightclub for people to come and have a good time. So uh, I, you know, I just kind of reframed how, how I was looking at life and looking at business. And I've always been helping people per se, but yeah. I, I thought that I was only kind of doing it for myself. So, um, so that's kind of the biggest paradigm shift that I've had in terms of what I'm doing and why. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's kind of, yeah. And we're going to go more in depth into future stream what you're looking at now, which is you know helping basically live streaming with the ability to to have real time revenue for for these creators and how you got here though is very interesting. So with the events business side of things uh, years ago, so what what was that exactly? Yeah, so I had you know I, my longest uh, kind of history is in nightlife and events promotion. So I was a promoter. I'm from San Francisco and. Uh, the Bay Area, and I was a, a nightclub promoter for many years in the Bay Area, doing um, you know small events to large scale events. Whether I was just on the production side, or or, or simply on the on the promotion side, um, you know we would produce our own events, or we would you know help larger companies, larger groups uh, promote their events. And so that's where it all started. And when I moved to LA, uh, that was also a business that I was. Uh, integrally involved in 
and had my own company, uh, which we were managing, promoting and doing, you know, seven nights a week for, you know, six or seven years, some of the top nights in, in, in Hollywood. Jeez, what, seven nights a week. That's, that's insane. That's a lot of a lot of work ethic that goes into that, I, I imagine. From that experience then, you also had True Star Media. How did that come about as well? Yeah, so True Star Media was my, my first company, and that was uh, really just kind of an events and, and brand promotion company. So that came about. So the, the, the way it happened was I, I had a, I was playing basketball. I had a, a you know, um, I was on, on the team at Skyline College uh, in the Bay Area. And I was, you know, starting point guard. Everything was going really well. And I broke my wrist. You know, obviously for a point guard, not I'm not that, <laughs> that big of a guy. I needed my speed and I needed my handles, right? So my left hand was, was you know, my wrist was severed and I had, you know, took time to put it together. And so essentially that was the end of my, what would have been my career, right? And everyone likes to think that they can make it to the NBA or make it <laughs> to the next level. I was of one course. of those guys. I was committed, but, you know, it was it was done. Um, but as a result, we, we had a, a winning season and, you know, the team was was doing really well. And I just started to kind of throw some after parties uh, in support of my team and just kind of wanted to stay a part of, of what was happening uh, in a different way since I wasn't going to practice and I wasn't I wasn't on the team anymore, actually, you know? Um, and so that's kind of what led me down the events path. It, was, it wasn't it was something that I had planned or anything that I had really aspired to do. I just really wanted to continue to be a part of, of the team culture and the winning team. And this is how I was able to contribute. And with that too, I mean, you were able to work with some pretty impressive brands. Like how did that grow over time for True Star Media? Work with like, you know, it's kind of like Nike or like, how did that even happen? Yeah. So, so what happened was, you know, back in like, you know, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, this was, you know, the social media hadn't taken off. It had, you know, a lot of it hadn't even been uh, established yet. It was like MySpace and things of that nature. So a lot of the ways that artists and record labels were marketing their artists was through uh, street promotions, you know, guerrilla guerrilla tactics, guerrilla promotions, right? And uh, what that just meant was that, you know, you had to go out and meet people and shake hands and hand out flyers, put up posters uh, to raise awareness for artists. And, and do, you know, we had one of the, the best companies here in, in, uh, in the Bay Area that was doing that. That obviously got back to the labels in New York and the labels in, in, in LA. And they said, Hey, you know, this, this guy, Javier and his company, they do really great events. They do really great promotions. And that led to some offers for me to come to LA and work in the label system. Um, and so I, I took that as an opportunity because in the Bay area, we had been doing like street promotions for, for new artists. Yeah. Like Jay-Z new artists like, uh, the Fugees, um, Nas, uh, there was uh, the, the Notorious B.I.G. We were doing Jeez. street promotions for these, you know, legacy artists that at the time no one had even known who they were. And so I got a, an opportunity. Alicia Keys was someone that I set up events for. And these were people that at the time no one knew of. We didn't have any real clear understanding of who they would become, but we liked the music. We were getting paid to promote it. <laughs> we went out and did our job, you know? Um, yeah. but with that being said, that led me to LA. Um, and I brought that energy and that, that vision to, uh, to, to a label in, in LA. It was, it was run, uh, by, uh, Kenny Edmonds, who's, who's Babyface, and his wife, Tracy Edmonds. I was the director of marketing over there. And, you know, I, I found my niche within the company, uh, by bringing corporate, uh, partnerships to the table to subsidize music videos, things that now we understand as product placement uh, right. was really early in, in the development of that. And that's kind of how, um, you know, I started True Star Media because when I left um, Edmonds, it, it was kind of like, all right, what should I do now? How do I, how do I, how do I, you know, create some value for myself? and uh, unwittingly others. And that's kind of how I started to do that.
That's incredible. And you are making all these connections along the way, I imagine, through that experience too. Absolutely. You know, because, you know, it was a much more intimate industry at the time because you had to know the radio uh, program directors. You had to know the DJs personally. They, you know, you had to know the artists, you know, uh, they would come to, to town and do promos and, and perform for like 10 or 15 people and things like that. Uh, whereas now it's a little, it's very different, especially now with COVID where, you know, human interaction is, is, <laughs> is, is, is at an all time low, but yeah. you know, now it's just virtual or digital, et cetera. So you do have a different type of connection with, with, with artists or your audience or labels or whatnot. But back then it was just more kind of in person. With True Star, then, so you decide to go with your own thing, and you know, kind of leverage those relationships and what you you had built for that. Like, take me through growing, growing that company, bringing on more clients. Like, how did that go for you? Yeah, so it, it was kind of organic, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was, I was, <laughs> you know, twenty two years old. I was just yeah. hungry and, and and aggressive, and felt like I had a lot of great ideas, and so we started to kind of like. Uh, so I, I, I brought in some some partners and we just started to like, uh, you know, do proposals to uh, larger companies and saying, hey, this is hip hop. This is the market. Uh, we understand the market. We know that it has value. We want to start creating a bridge here. And and some of the, the companies that got it early was, of course, the Nikes of the world. Right. So. Yeah. So um, Nike was a company that that really under not was, is a company that really <laughs> understands the culture. Uh, and so that was one of our, my first clients is, it was Nike. And, and with good reason, we we're a lot of the uh, artists were wearing their, their, their apparel, their shoes and music videos and things of that nature. And we just said, hey, we can do more of that for you. We can get your stuff in music videos. We can get these product placements on artists, celebrities, et cetera. And they said, all right, cool, let's do it. Um, so we started to do that. And as a result, they, they said, Hey, we got a, a new program that we're going to launch in LA. Uh, and it's a, it's an event platform and it's an influencer platform, uh, that we want you guys to curate for us. So we became a part of the team. Uh, it was called the blue house and, uh, we worked in tandem with the, the internal Nike team and, and, and we started to do events at Jim Morrison's old home, uh, on Venice beach. So it's like, and it's literally a blue house right there on the boardwalk, <laughs> you know? And the, the funny thing or the unique thing about this strategy, this was, you know, again, pre-social media, et cetera, is yeah. that they, did, they didn't want any press. They didn't want any paparazzi. They didn't want any of that stuff. So, you know, our whole shtick was, this is exclusive. This is VIP. Um, if you got an invite, you're lucky. And, and so we had really the creme de la creme of, of, of of influencers coming by, uh, experiencing the Nike Blue House. Um, we were doing some of the creative for it. We were curating some of the events. Uh, we were we were uh, acting as a bridge with some of the um, the uh, collaborations that Nike was doing within the Blue House, and that caught the attention of other companies naturally because some of some of these other executives from agencies and other companies uh, were saying, "Man, this this is amazing!" and and who's responsible for this? And so that's how we started to get more business and, and start to do more work. You know, Javier, you're saying like at that time, like you're just in your like low twenties doing this. I mean, these are, this is one of the most iconic big brands. I and mean, even back then still Nike. Um, and how are you thinking about like, okay, I'm going to work with a brand like, like Nike. I'm working with some of these big brands and do this for them. And like, you eventually you don't know what you're doing. Did you just wing it? Like, like what are you thinking back then of like how you're going to grow this and and what you're doing with the work at the time? Yeah, you know, I it, it'd be nice if I could just take all the credit. You know, I I, <laughs> I can't take all the credit. There, sure. you know, Nike, Nike had a really strong internal team. Um, you know, we had our team. There was it was really a collaborative effort. So there were quite a few different parties involved that that would uh, that we would all congregate and say, all right how do we execute this and what do we want to do next? And, um, and so, you know, I, we, we had some direction, we were giving some direction. Uh, so it was, it was certainly a collaborative effort. Um, and, and that was great for, for us at the time or me in particularly, because I was able to work as an independent, you know, my own company, 
Um, yeah. But we were working in tandem and in collaboration with other companies as well as Nike to execute these events, execute these uh, these these partnerships, and and uh, and 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 deliver a great a great experience. And from that, then from True Star Media, working with Nike and these different brands as well. At what point did Android Home come into play? Yeah, so Android Ohm came into play uh, maybe about five or six years later. So, so post TrueStar, um, you know, what I realized was that there was a, a real hole in LA nightlife, and I was like, man, you know, if you go to the the urban, what was called the urban events, primarily black, you know, there was a dress code. You had to wear like suits and slacks, and and you know, church shoes is what we called them. You know, like hard bottoms. <laughs> Yeah, and if and if you went to the more Hollywood nights, which was primarily or predominantly white and kind of the Paris Hiltons and you know that world, which we had you know fortunate access to both worlds, um, then it was it was way more casual, you know, sneakers and jeans and things of that nature. And I was like, man, why why isn't there, it, you know, because when I want to go to the, the more urban events, I got to get really dressed up, and when I go to these events, I can just kind of wear what I want, right? And yeah. uh. And I, and I realized that there was just kind of like a, a small, not a small, kind of a, 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 an industry undertone that said that, you know, uh, blacks and or the urban audience, uh, if they're not dressed nicely or whatever, they could be gangbangers or it could be violent or something like that. And, and I, I, I didn't agree with that. Neither did any of my partners. And we decided to start doing nightlife and, uh, and cur- curating uh, events and that and we knew the skaters we knew all the kids from streetwear we knew the urban uh you know the urban crowd we knew kind of the white hollywood crowd is what we would call it and we started we created this massive like melting pot this jumbo of uh, you know this <laughs> gumbo of like good vibes you know and, yeah. and and style and and entrepreneurs and like so so many really amazing brands and and and, and streetwear and nightlife and, and music and entertainment came out of that environment um that 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 we created that you know that I had envisioned so that's what what I was doing in between true star um because I you know I got a little tired of kind of doing uh client work and you know client work is is really challenging when you're trying to kind of they they bring you on for your opinions and your and your ideas and you present those opinions and ideas and they go ah uh we we don't we don't want to do it, you know. It's like, well, what'd you <laughs> yeah. hire us for, you know? So, Why are we here? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you hired the experts, but now you're telling the experts that that's not going to work, right? So, um, <laughs> so this was kind of like a, a great opportunity for for me to you know dig deeper roots within the in the community and in the culture. And so we did uh, you know events for Kanye West, Glow in the Dark tour. We did events for Jay Z. You know, we went kind of back to my core. Um, my core competency and, 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 uh, and out of that sprung the idea of Android Ohm. And, and I say that because, you know, I was interacting with a lot of young designers like myself and young creators that were, were starting to create brands of their own, like Crooks and Castles and Diamond Supply and Black Scale and all these really cool brands at the time. And, 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 and I was going, man, this is really cool. I can do my own thing. And, and this is the audience. Yeah. Right. So, so, uh, you know, Fairfax district, which is huge sneakers, all this was kind of just starting to like make sense, uh, to the, to the, to the global population. And so I decided to take my earnings from the nightlife industry and, and launch something that I, I was always passionate about, which was fashion and sneakers. And, uh, I had a vision that, <clears throat> that, you know, streetwear, uh, sportswear was going to collide with luxury at some point, you know, which we're yeah. all seeing now with, you know, brands like Off-White, things like that, um, yeah. or, or Gucci, you know. And so I saw that, you know, 10 years ago and launched uh, pretty much the, I, I, I call it the world's first men's luxury footwear brand, you know, um, because we it was all sneakers, you know, we didn't do like, uh, you know, hard bottoms or, or leather shoes in that way we did sneakers and these sneakers were priced you know between three and six hundred dollars they were uh, made in italy and um you know and it kind of ushered in a whole new category in, in fashion so i was also one of the first brothers to to have my footwear 
in some of the major department stores like Saks and and Nordstrom's, Neiman's, and you know Harrods in London and things of that nature. So uh, I kind of that kind of I, I created a path for other designers in the space to really kind of say, "Wow, this is possible." Um, yeah, I didn't know anything about. Uh, manufacturing. I didn't know. I, I kind of just learned how to do it on my own, put my own skin in the game, financed it myself, uh, grew a company that, you know, had global distribution. Uh, you know, we sold over $120 million worth of footwear and, uh, you know, owned and operated that company for about eight, eight years and then ultimately uh, sold it. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> so we, I have to go back because right, uh, cool. there's, there's so much in that that's, uh, I think people find useful. Um, and even even getting to uh, even get to that company, but before you mentioned events, one thing I want to go back to with events real quick. What was the key to you know putting on a great event, having a great event? Because you've done so many of them. I'd be I just I had to ask before we move on because I think it's a, it's kind of an interesting space to talk about. Yeah, you know I think what what makes a good event you know in the real world is is the people, right? So you you have to become a master curator of the audience right and yeah. and when, when you know your audience then you then now you can provide the entertainment and so i i just really knew my audience and and i knew what they wanted and i knew how to package it and deliver it to them in a way that no one else was doing um and so what i knew about our audience is that it was multicultural that the people yeah. that i ha- was in contact with didn't just want to be at say uh, uh, an urban nightclub with pre- predominantly blacks and they didn't just want to be at a at a, let's call it a white hollywood nightclub with predominantly whites uh they liked a range of music from from dance hall reggae to to to, to dance music or house music to yeah. hip-hop and they wanted to experience all that in one and so you know really knowing your audience is is key you know who are they what you know what are their tendencies what what do they really really want right and then you can create that experience for them uh the the second part is 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 know the talent know um the difference between uh you know if if it's djs you know uh, so anyone can say hey i'm a hip-hop dj uh and they're probably accurate but what kind of hip-hop and (laughs) and 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 what's the vibe and what's the energy and you know that's really important you know is, is understanding the talent um, and then, uh, you know, I, I, I guess the, the, the last part of that is, 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 is knowing that this is kind of, again, a service. This is something you're doing for people, uh, to, 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 to let go and experience, uh, an alternate reality or, or, or escape, uh, from their day to day. You know, they want to, uh, you know, when, when you think of events kind of, Pre-COVID, it was like, you know, people plan these events and they plan them as groups. Yeah. And then they go shopping for this event and they buy new clothes or they buy, you know, new makeup or whatever, the, you know, whatever that is uh, in order to experience this moment in time. And so as long as, you know, if you're an event producer, you understand that that this is what's important to people is the experience, then you, your job is just really to curate it to the best of your ability so that people walk away from that event feeling like it was memorable and that they want to come back. Yeah. And having that experience over and over again, I'm sure you find ways to improve upon the events and learning from, you know, past events to make the events better and, you know, really understanding your audience as you move forward. And, and that will lead us to future stream eventually, but then going back to uh, Android Omen for a second here, you started financing it with your own money. You didn't know about manufacturing, what were some of the first things you did to make this a reality and actually get, you know, shoes into, uh, into people's hands to, to wear? Like, how did you actually do that then in the beginning stages? Yeah. You know, funny story. Uh, I had a friend at the time and she was making, uh, some small tchotchkes and trinkets in China. <laughs> and she was like, Hey, I'm going to China. And I know you, cause I had been talking about it within my, my, my crew and my community. Like, man, I want to do something else. I want to, Oh, I love fashion. So I was going, you know, before I had even got into to fashion business, I had been going to the trade shows, yeah. um, Ma- Magic in Vegas and all of these other trade shows. And just, you know, A, a because I was a brand guy and I wanted to kind of meet 
brand owners and 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 kind of look for sponsors and and do do events for them or you know we did a lot of those you know uh release parties and launch parties and things of that nature so so it was it was in my best interest to to know the the players in the space right but at the same time I was like man this is really cool like I'm doing a party for someone who's launching a brand but uh I would like to know what it's like to be on the brand side right <laughs> and, and so yeah so that's kind of the, the the thought process was like these guys are making some really cool product whether it was t-shirts or hats or you know skateboards whatever and then i i said you know i'm gonna take a trip to china and this was uh, i think 2006 um and i had i i don't speak mandarin and and i didn't have any contacts or relationships out there and i, I jumped on a plane uh to a place called guangzhou and, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a wild ride, you know, because again, this is pre, uh, you know, social, you know, there was no yeah. Instagram, there was no Facebook to connect with people. There was no Alibaba. Um, so I was just kind of like shooting in the dark. Uh, but as life would have it and destiny would have it, uh, a friend of mine knew someone from her church that knew someone in China somewhere out remotely, maybe two to three hours away from where we actually ended up and started finding some vendors and some factories. Um, and we, you know, I got on a bus and a train and, uh, you know, there were chickens flying everywhere on the bus and like, it was, it was wild, you know? Um, and so it was really a, a kind of, it's just a, a, a wild ride, but we ended up in a place in Guangzhou that's called, called Shoe City. Right. When we okay. said, hey, we want to do this, want to do this. They pointed us to this place. And it was just a, like a massive area uh, where there was nothing but suppliers. So, you know, shoelace vendors and leather vendors. And, and really, it was a, 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 an area that was there to support uh, the, the factories, you know, so and, and, and brands. So you could go there and select your leather and select your zippers and your laces and then bring that back to the factory and say, hey, I want to make this design. And these are the components that I want you to use. Um, so it was magical. It was like a kid in a candy store. I started to really kind of feel like, wow, I can do this. Uh, met, you know, through a vendor, a, a small factory, um, started to have dialogue with them. And, I, and our first meeting uh, was really challenging because I didn't have a translator and they didn't really speak good English. Oh, wow. uh, but, you know, my sketching skills were, were were decent and I started to sketch right there on the spot and said, hey, can you make this? Something like this. And they nodded their head yes. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll figure this out. You know, we'll, we'll figure <laughs> this out. I'm going to come back. And so, I, you know, I was pretty proficient in, in Photoshop and Illustrator at the time because that's what I was doing, all our, our brand assets and, and advertising and, you know, all these kind of ideas that we were pitching, I was doing uh, on my computer. So I was, I was able to kind of render uh, a few few designs, hand that off to, to this manufacturer. Uh, he gave us a price and I was nervous and I, <laughs> you know, but we, we, we ended up paying for some samples and, and we left China. And I said, man, this, you know, again, no, there was email, you know, there was really nothing else to kind of connect or vet this right. vendor. Um, there was no Alibaba. There were no scores, no five stars. There was nothing for me to kind of say, all right, these guys are, are legitimate or they're integrous. Uh, so I, gave, I left, I gave them, I think it was 10 grand uh, to do, you know, five samples in multiple colors and, and, you know, and I left China <laughs> and <laughs> I crossed my fingers and, and, uh, and, you know, as the universe would have it, they shipped me our samples and okay, I, that's I, incredible. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was blown away. I was so amazed, stoked. And, uh, you know, it, they were all wrong and, you know, in terms of the quality, but just the fact that they had kept their word and, and I had done this on my own, uh, just kind of gave me the confidence to keep going. 
Yeah, that's such an amazing you know, starting story for this, and so much, so much risk and so much trust involved to make that happen in the beginning. And you get these samples, then you say they're wrong, but you you basically affirm that okay, I can trust that they can do something for me. Like I went to China, they can create a product, they shipped it to me, like I had it. This is a real thing now. At that point, then did you? You know, was there a minimum run you had to do for the product? Like, did you know exactly what you kind of wanted your first product uh, line to be? Like, how did that go from there? Yeah, so this is all kind of like learn as you go, like, you know, fix the airplane while it's flying kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because I didn't have the the training or, you know, I didn't go to, to you know, fashion school or, or I didn't have any previous intern experience or work at any of these companies uh, from, from, the, from the product from the product development side. So I knew how to market something. I knew how to communicate something or, or, or a product, but I didn't really know how to build it and how to, what the logistics were uh, in terms of, of, of having that product done to spec and quality and on time. And so we, I, I was learning and I, and I, I, I did have some friends in the space and I brought them on board uh, once I got the samples and I felt like it was real and I, you know, I offered them some small equity say, Hey, look, I really need some help here. Like I'm willing <laughs> to give you a piece of the company. Um, but let's, let's grow this together. And they, they saw the vision and, and we all teamed up. And so, um, you know, the, the, the cool thing about it was I did have to kind of just learn on the fly and put my money where my mouth was. Uh, so we did have a minimum order. We uh, made some some adjustments to the sample, sent them back. Uh, they sent the final product. We didn't do a QC on that product. And when when we got it, uh, you know, the, fir the first few people that tried them on, because we wanted to get them to our friends first. And I had a lot yeah. of celebrity friends. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have Justin Bieber wear. I'm going to have all these people wear. And, you know, the first few calls I got back was like, hey, man, I, I, I put on the shoes. And when I went to lace it, and tie it up, the, the, the laces broke or, oh, you know, or, the, or the, the, the eyelets broke. And I was like, oh no, I got, you know, hundreds of pairs here. And, and we couldn't, we couldn't sell those pairs. We couldn't, we couldn't even give them away because yeah. terrible quality. <laughs> uh, that, that's kind of what led us out of China into, uh, into Italy and Portugal, where we felt there was just a, a, a much more uh, granular focus on quality. Um, and, 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 and a luxury product. So, you know, that was a learning experience and I was super grateful for it. And, and, uh, but you know, it helped to kind of refine our vision, uh, for the product and how it should be made. And, and we learned a lot in that process. Yeah. And through that, then you, you switched factories and moved to a really a quality product a quality, at a luxury price point as well then. And, you have all of these connections from doing events for years and just, I imagine you just know so many people through that. Take me through kind of how you thought about distribution. Cause I mean, I'm really curious about that because of the connections you had and with this, this product that ends up, you know, I mentioned selling a hundred million plus worth of, worth of, uh, of product for your company. Like what would you think about for distribution with this? Yeah. So, so we had, because we had been going to these trade shows, uh, you know, I had a, a small network of, of retailers and, 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 uh, boutiques that I was fond of and, and, you know, and it was just kind of the, the online, uh, e-commerce space was just starting to like blossom. And, and so, you know, one of our first doors, uh, was a door in New York called Atrium. And so, when I would go to New York or, you know, most people in, in entertainment fashion or uh, would they would go shop at Atrium because they had just the coolest brands and, you know, hard to find, hard to discover brands. And, you know, they had some of the more mainstream brands as well. But this is the place that you wanted to go uh, and you're going to spend a pretty penny, uh, but you're going to walk out with something that no one else has. So yeah. we had. A, a small network of those shops uh, in the U.S. So in Atlanta, in Miami, in uh, L.A., uh, and so so we did the outreach and and got in those doors, and 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 that was kind of like foundational. Um, you know, that was kind of like that validated our product. Yeah, that, that said, hey, these this brand and these guys are cool, and um, and we support it, and we're selling it, and you know, much to our, our, our amusement, we started to sell out because the design language was unique. 
the market was really starting to kind of take a look at alternative uh, footwear options for men, uh, primarily, you know, because it was kind of, you were either wearing something like Cole Haan or you were wearing like Nike, you know, there was yeah. nothing in between that, you know, so at the time there was no Jimmy Choo or Christian Louboutin or, um, you know, any of these, you know, massive global brands now. And so we were that pretty much that only footwear in that category that was saying, hey, here's an alternative that you can wear this sneaker out. You know, I was really designing sneakers for nightlife, you know, something that because, uh, you know, I had the knowledge and and the understanding that that a lot of people couldn't get in to nightclubs wearing wearing sneakers like like, you know, white bottoms or, you know, rubber soled uh, sneakers. So we started to make black soles. And, you know, and, 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 you know, really luxury, uh, luxurious uppers like patent leather and things that kind of to a bouncer or a door guys like, oh, all right. Yeah, they, you can get in. Yeah. You know, they're going to look <laughs> at your dress code. Right. Yeah. Uh, makes more sense than you just wearing like, say, Air Force Ones, you know, or, or, or something like that. So that was kind of the time and space. And, and we, you know, I had seen that and capitalized on it. And so uh, then, you know, e-commerce started to take take some some precedence and, and one yep. of the first e-commerce stores that we got in was uh uh and we were we were kind of we were like the premium brand on Karma Loop. So Karma Loop was 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 a, a company that you know was was saw the, the market early on streetwear and started to to e-commerce and sell uh you know streetwear goods online. And uh you know they they helped scale our business considerably because now we had uh, let's call it a global audience, right? Uh, a, a global yeah. potential customer base. Uh, whereas, you know, we were primarily boutique based. And, uh, and so that's kind of how, how we grew. How, how did that change things for you as you're, as you're scaling? I mean, you start from this, this small thing, let's get, you know, get this in the hands of a few people to begin with here, uh, figure out the products out of it. Then as you scale up to this, like what were some of the challenges or like, how, how was the experience for you as you're going through that? Yeah, we had every good problem that you can imagine, right? So, <laughs> so uh, you know, financing. You know, how do you how do you finance production, right? So, supply and demand, right? So, we had demand, we didn't have enough supply. So now we were kind of saying, all right, how do we how do we finance production uh, so that we can hold inventory and supply these retailers and supply uh, online sales? So that was a, a big challenge because. Uh, on the financing side, it was a story that w- that no one really had heard before, and, and it was hard to tell that story. It's like, hey, we're we're making shoes, and and we're making uh, luxury men's shoes, you know, and this is the market, and and so you know we got a lot of resistance from traditional lenders and banks and things of that nature. So we just had to figure out ways to to f- continue to sell finance and and run a a really lean operation, which you know kind of our marketing and our sales kind of our marketing primarily suffered because we didn't have enough money to, to finance uh, expansion of of the communication of the brand because we had to put it all into production. Right. So, um, so good problem uh, because it's like, Hey, the market wants more. We got to figure out a way to, to get them more. So, so we, we, we circumvented those issues. Um, You know, we, we had, dealt with all the quality issues and all that kind of stuff. And then now as we considered the distribution, the global distribution, we 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 would have loved to just be able to do that ourselves because yeah. our margins would have been significantly higher. But what we ended up having to do was take on uh you know local distributors or 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 regional dis- distributors. So we had distribution in in all of all of UK which ended up being all of Europe. We had a distributor in in China, uh, which which ended up being all of Southeast Asia as well as China. You know, so we we had distributor in Japan, and so you know we we had to kind of and and these distributors would solve that problem. So they would finance the production. They would they would they would take the orders in that region. Uh, they would finance the production for their region. So it was really just kind of like cash for us. Um, and they would have to sell those goods themselves and, and, you know, we wouldn't take any returns or anything like that, but they, they really were great operators and they knew their market. Um, but the, the, you know, the, uh, 
<clears throat> the drawback was that now we had to we had to sell these goods to a distributor at a significant discount so that they could make money. Yeah, that's uh, that's always a tricky business to be in, but that's why you had to do it because you're you're growing so fast. I mean, you don't really have much of an option. It seems like at the time. Correct, correct. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, one thing with this, with all of this, is I'm listening to this and like thinking about your your role as well as being a you know founder of the company is the creative director designer, and you had experience from from TrueStar a bit, but like you you hadn't actually designed apparel and footwear before. So how did that side? of the business when you're running the business, but also kind of a creative side of it as well. How did you manage those two different things? Yeah. You know, I, I like to think that I'm just, uh, you know, equally yoked left brain, right brain, <laughs> you know, and I was, <laughs> and, and I, I, I'm wildly curious, man. I, I, I feel like I graduated from Google university. Like, Oh yeah. I oh, think yeah. I, I can figure out anything and I, and I, and I, I won't stop until I do. I, I've never been handicapped or limited by, by, um, by obstacles. Uh, the only obstacles I see are those that I put in front of myself. So I'm also just resourceful and I, I'll ask questions. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I like to be, uh, you know, in a room where I, I'm not the smartest guy. So I can just kind of ask those questions to people that had design. And, and I, and, you know, fortunately, because of nightlife and the industry I was in, I was able, you know, I had one degree of separation from other footwear designers or other brand owners. And I could say, Hey man, can I take a meeting with you? Like, how did you do this? Or how do you do this? Yeah. And what should I look out for? And, you know, these kind of things. And, and I had, you know, countless, countless people, uh, companies and other brands and, you know, that, that opened their door to, to me and said, yeah, yeah. How about, you know, come by and I'll, I'll explain what I know or things of that nature. And again, I, I took things into my own hands and, and, and really learned how to design and, and, you know, the terminology. And, you know, I spent months in factories, you know, learning how to make shoes and learning how to do this, you know, this business. So, um, so that's, you know, that's just kind of what it takes. Yeah. And I, I love that so much. Cause I think for people who <laughs> they put these blocks on themselves and the limitations on what they can do, it's like, the information's out there, the people are out there who've done what you want to do. And you've built a network that's allowed you to do these things, but anyone can build a network. You know, you can start with that point exactly. You don't know what to do or how to do something. Start contacting people who have done that or who are in that space. And the ability to get that information, to make those connections is out there if you want it. And that's really why I'm loving, you know, your story so far. And what I want to finally get into yeah. is is Future Stream. How did Future Stream then get started? Yeah, man. Uh, just one one last comment on 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 that yeah. is that you know, had I had Alibaba, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> you know, had I had any of these tools, I would have absolutely crushed yeah. it. I feel like so we did more. amazing. We did, yeah, we did a great job. I mean, we had everyone wearing our stuff from Jay Z to Justin Bieber to Chris Brown. I did Usher's global OMG tour as his creative director. Everyone on his tour was wearing our shoes and in apparel as well as him. Um, you know, this was with very little social. So anyone that's listening that has access to LinkedIn and social and all that stuff, there are absolutely no excuses. <laughs> yeah. You can crush That's it. incredible to think yeah. about that. Yeah. I'm glad you made that point because it is so much different now. I mean, the resources available now, like there's no excuse oh at all, God. man. I mean, you did this all with pre-social. It's insane. Absolutely, man. And, and, you know, I sound like a dinosaur, but that was 10 years ago. Like, yeah. you know, it's not like it's not <laughs> social really kind of picked up five or six years ago, you know? So, um, so, and, and it didn't really pick up steam until maybe three years ago. Right. Yeah. You know, like three, three years ago, this is like, oh, this is a, this is, this is something influencers <laughs> and, and, you know, and brands on Instagram, like, so you're like an, you're uh, like an OG uh, though, man, at this point, like you, man, you're, you're the one who started with, like with your brand. Like, That's it's crazy. Right. Yeah, I feel like a, a brontosaurus in here, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, man, it you know, segueing into Future Stream, um, you know, sold the company, sold Android, uh, took some time off. I was dealing with some real, you know, some real uh difficult uh health health issues. And and I felt like the best thing for me to do because of of the intensity of the business and, and how I had to, you know, fashion is is unforgiving, man. It's a it's a 365, 24 hour 
business. Yeah. You know, when when everyone when everyone's having fun on Christmas, you're 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 shipping goods because everyone's buying <laughs> Christmas. Right. And when you know when it's Black Friday and like all, all these major dates are 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 intense times. So there really is never a break. Um, and so my intense production schedule, which was you know we're shipping and doing new product every season, which is every three months. So now I'm spending time in you know, traveling the world, um, you know, not necessarily eating right and not, you know, not sleeping and, you know, whatever that looks like. And and it it took a toll on on my body and, and my mind and, and, and mentally, you know, I I just kind of, it it threw me off and and I realized that the money, the access, all of that wasn't really worth my health. So I, I I sold the company, took, took a year off to kind of recalibrate and heal. I, you know, I, I went on my eat, eat, love, pray journey and went out to, to Bali and, and, you know, and spent time out Great there meditating. And yeah. You know, I went out and, and spent time in, in Egypt and, and, and got to meditate in you know, the great pyramids and, and just, you know, like go and, and really kind of figure out self. And, um, and that was, that was like one of the most important times of my life. Cause I, I, it was, you know, it was really all about me, but in the, in the best way, you know, it wasn't about money or, or, anyone else it was just me about healing uh this this mind body spirit connection and and you know when i came out of that space i i realized that what i wanted to do was just help people like how can i be of service how can i help others i can i can launch a new brand i can do all kinds of stuff i i, I you know i literally uh have the utmost belief in my belief in myself um and so pre-covid you know, I'd say about a year ago, I just said, you know, I'm going to launch a new agency and it's called Love More Labs. And Love More Labs is really just about, about that. Like who can I, who can I spread the love to? And, and I started with my own community and I, you know, I could have went and knocked on the big doors and, and tried to, you know, onboard huge companies to consult. And I, I just didn't really feel like that was my path at that time. Uh, so I knocked on smaller doors and independence and, and people in 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 the fashion and tech space and and that you know had small products or small companies that that wanted to scale and wanted to learn uh cert, you know that had needed help and and that's where I about a year ago I started to do that and it felt amazing to help someone find an investor or help someone raise money or help someone uh you know kind of really understand their their cogs, their cost of goods and and how they're leaving money on the table with their with their factories or or build a bridge for someone that 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 needed a new factory. And I'm yeah. like, well, I, I got way better factories for you here. Here it is. Here, you know, and 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 not really charging a lot. I was I was okay financially and not really kind of just saying, um, you know, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing it because I really want to help and I love what you're doing. I love your product. Uh, and so in that, you know, I, I started to kind of work a bit in the esports space with 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 a hardware uh, manufacturer, uh, NZXT, and 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 started kind of consulting those guys and figuring out ways for them to to leverage their brand and and um and then COVID hit and it was like you know <laughs> bam you know like in the middle of like this really good frequency, this really good energy, and I'm helping a lot of different brands from from fashion to cannabis to to uh, technology. And I'm just kind of like adding value. I'm just adding significant value to these companies. Um, COVID hit uh, primarily with overseas, you know, and I was consulting a lot of people with overseas vendors and, and how to, how to, um, you know, how to improve their, their cost of goods. And, and now factories are shut down in China and here and there and whatever. And then it hit us here really hard. And while home, I, I started to kind of just think, all right, man, like, how do we how do we help people under these circumstances? Um, and and that led to, you know, I think like everyone kind of, you know, going online and seeing what's going on. <laughs> right. And I was like, man, the fashion industry is going to really take a hit because no one's going out. No one wants to buy new clothes or new shoes. Right. And so I'm like, man, how do I help this 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 sector? These, the, you know, my friends in this sector. And I. I you know, just transparently, I, I couldn't figure out a way. And I was like, man, okay, I'm gonna still think about that. But what I did see was the event space. And I saw for my friends that are DJs and artists, all of a sudden starting to go live. And they're DJing and they're, 
and they're going live on Instagram. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I, you know, Swiss Beats is a good friend of mine. And, and I saw what he was doing with verses. I'm like, man, this is, <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. And you know, there's 800,000 people in this room and you know, the technology is, is, is not really set up for it. And, 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 and these guys aren't making any money, you know, and I'm seeing D nice. And I was like, I have a solution. Uh, and, and, and we worked night and day, uh, to, to create a solution for, for, for creators, uh, to easily turnkey monetize their life. And that's, that's future stream. Like we said, look, how can someone that has an audience that, uh, that, may, you know, may be in, in some financial trouble because they're not touring, they're not, they're not playing at nightclubs, they're not, yeah. uh, you know, they're not doing any of this. Now, how could they easily create a, an experience for their audience and monetize it to the maximum degree without having to, you know, create a subscription and, and, and download some app and create all kinds of commitments, right? And that's what we created in FutureStream is, you know, uh, uh, easily turnkey live stream uh, monetization platform that allows artists and creators to to set up an account, create an event, and go live and start selling tickets within minutes. Such a such a useful solution for them, and it's I know you're, ju- you're having just started with with FutureStream. I just launched not too long ago. Like, what kind of traction at this point have you already seen uh, with the platform? Oh man, amazing traction. We've we've only been in, you know, we we soft launched maybe 45 days ago. Uh and, you know, we've, you know, we've done over 120 events. Wow. Um a lot of those events are repeat events. Um we had uh number one charting Billboard artist The Baby go live on our our platform choosing us over the multitude of others, you know, larger platforms like Twitch or YouTube or whatever, um, really saw the value in our model and said, man, this is, this is empowering. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and we've done, uh, you know, and the, if the platform's the platform, our target is nightlife, entertainment, artists. Um, but the platform supports fitness instructors. We had a yoga, a yoga instructor go on and, you know, teach yoga and charge the fee and, he made some great money, you know, with one, one class. So, uh, we've had, we've had ed- educators go on. We had, a uh, a guy named Adrian Miller go on and, and, and he's doing his master classes there. And he, you know, he's, he man, he, you know, he's built businesses and, and music and manages Anderson Pack and Mariba and a bunch of these artists. He's like, man, I, I want this, I want to use this, this platform to just create master classes and just teach and, you know, and, and charge a, a small fee. And, and, and so, uh, so, you know, so the, all these different use cases within a, a month and a half is really just, uh, you know, really created some some internal excitement within the company. And then and then outside, you know, we've been approached by numerous VCs. And this is also one of my self-funded ventures. You know, yeah. like we haven't raised any money. We haven't taken any money yet. Uh, you know, I like to I like to prove the concept. I like to put my money where my mouth is. And and that's what we've we've done thus far. And it's it's been amazing. You know. Uh, couldn't couldn't see it going uh, any better. Uh, we're attracting top tier talent. Uh, we just locked in Offset from Migos. He's going to be going live on September 11th. Nice. Um, yeah, and uh, you know we're talking uh, to a host of other top talent. Uh, you know uh, uh, who I can't uh, disclose <laughs> yet. We don't have any any agreements with them yet. But uh, but they're we're in serious consideration. Uh, we're having you know, high level conversations with a lot of the agencies. So whether it's CAA and, and ICM. And, and so that's encouraging. That's exciting because they're excited about the space and the possibility. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're in a flow, man. We're, we're, we're rolling. It's good. Yeah. I, it's such an exciting time for you guys and, and congrats on everything so far with it in just a short amount of time. And clearly it's because, you know, you have these relationships that have been built up and you can, you can use that to help you with this. But what I'm curious about too, is like, why do you think like the baby went on and they're like, why do you think some of these people are choosing future stream right now? And when there's other platforms out there, like why are they choosing you guys? I think, I think it's a a few, a few reasons. One is, is we're we're transparent with the data, right? So let me give you an example. Uh, If you're an artist and you go live on Twitch, YouTube, these are all amazing platforms, right? In our in our in, in, in our perspective, the problem is that you have ten thousand people in a room uh, that attended your live stream that you uh, did the work to market it and promote it, and you leave with zero data 
all you leave is with the, mm. the, the notion or the, the, the assumption or, or the knowledge that you had 10,000 people in a room. Well, that's great. <laughs> but now what, what could you have done if you had a database of 10,000 users that, that right. now you can use to further expand your communication with your audience? This is your audience. This isn't Twitch's audience or someone <laughs> else's audience, right? So, right. so what we realize is that a lot of these platforms are just kind of leveraging people's audience and then selling it back to them, right? And, uh, and we just felt that that, you know, being an artist-centric platform, that that's not, that's not what we want to do. We want to honor the creators and say, look, this is your audience. This is your content. This is, we want to share this data with you. And if your audience is okay with it, then we're willing to give you their name. We're willing to give you the city that they signed in from, and we're willing to give you their email. And now you can take that information, uh, amass your own database of a million names, right? Because a lot of these people have millions of followers, you know, 10, 20, right. 30 million, and they have zero data, zero access to their audience <sighs> outside of logging onto that platform. And what we were seeing is like, you know, there were copyright issues. If someone plays a song, they were just deleting accounts. And it's like, whoa, you know, these people, these artists, these creators have spent <laughs> years building this audience and you just pulled the plug immediately. It's kind of insane to think about like, you know, as a, like from the business perspective, I think as a business person, you understand so clearly the value in owning the data, having the emails, et cetera. Maybe a creative doesn't understand the same, or maybe they just haven't pushed for it the same. But in, in hearing that, it seems like future stream is kind of like a no brainer. If that's what you're going to have access to, why wouldn't you do that? Cause the data is so important for your audience. Like it's your audience. And it's so important to have, to be able to, to use that, to reach them, to, to build a, a real business out of your creative career. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of why I feel we're having so much success. Um, is, is, is that, is that reason? And I, I want to be respectful of your time. I could probably ask a thousand different questions on future stream as, as well as Android Ohm and everything else you've, you've done at this point where I, one of the last questions I want to ask is just where is like the future of future stream? Like what's the next step? What's the big vision for the company? Yeah, I mean, the big vision is to is to really kind of be the destination for the culture where they feel empowered, they feel respected, honored, and listened to. Um, and and we are the platform that says, hey, we understand what you need and what you want, and we're willing to give it to you. We're willing to provide the platform that says, here, we honor your contribution, uh, whether it's music or 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 your creative endeavors. And we want to reward you significantly for that. So our, our profit and rev shares are, is 90-10. Uh, so any creator that comes on FutureStream is walking away with 90% of, of the total revenue. So whether you're a podcaster, whether you're an artist, whether you are whatever, and you want to monetize your, your audience to the maximum degree, um, there's no reason to go anywhere else. Um, not only that, you walk away with your data. And the, 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 you know, another integral and, and key component of this is we don't own your content. You know, when you, when right. you upload your content to these other platforms, <laughs> you're not reading the fine print, right? And so it's your content. We don't own it. We don't have the rights to redistribute it, sell it, you know, sell it back to you, et cetera. So I, I, I really believe that we, we're, we're the home for, for creatives, uh, primarily in the, in the music and entertainment space, which is kind of our focus. But if you're a creative in any uh, realm, uh, you know, podcasters, uh, you know, educators, whatever that looks like, um, you know, we, we feel that we have the technology and the, and the feature set that's going to, uh, that's going to create an, an, an incredible experience for your audience and, and provide significant value for, for both, for all parties involved. Absolutely. And where can people go to sign up for FutureStream and learn more about everything you're doing? Yeah, they can go to futurestream.tv. And uh, much like some of my other endeavors, it's it's VIP, you know, so you got to email us, uh, you know, and, and, and it's not VIP because of some sort of elitist, but we want we want to know our customer. We want to get to know you. We want to know uh, what what works for you, how we can better serve 
uh, you and your intentions. So if you're a DJ, if you're a podcaster, we want to we want to have that communication so that we know how to, uh, you know, really communicate the feature sets and what what's possible on the platform. So you go to the plat, you go to futurestream.tv, you send an email to hello at futurestream.tv and we set you up with an account uh, where we'll, we'll do a demo or we can send out demos um, and you get you get started immediately. Awesome. This has been so much fun, Javier. There's your story is just incredible and what you've done. And I honestly think this could have been a, a four hour interview because I have so many, so many questions, but be respectful of your time. But thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the show today, Javier. No, thank you, man. And thank, uh, thank you for putting together this platform and, and, uh, providing this for, for your audience. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be a guest and looking forward to the next one. If, if we get, we get a chance. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.